Let us turn our attention this morning to the passage before us, Luke chapter 21, as we continue in our study, the gospel according to Luke. So I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 29 through the end of the passage. And Jesus spake unto them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away, till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime, Jesus was teaching in the temple and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, we do give thee thanks this morning that thou hast sent thy word to heal us. And we do pray for the blessing of thy spirit And the unction of that spirit upon the one who preaches this morning. O Lord our God, come in great power this morning. Enable us to hear the word, to receive it, and to go forth and to bear fruit. We ask, O Lord, that the words of my mouth, that the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We are drawing to the end of the gospel according to Luke. Uh, It doesn't seem like it's been that long. I think it was last November that we were in chapter 13. So it's been a while. But as we come to this passage this morning, I would encourage you to put your seatbelts on and to hold on. Because this passage is a bumpy ride. I confess that this is, as I said last week, this is one of the most difficult passages to preach. And it is the most difficult passage for people to understand for two reasons. First of all, because we live in a day when there is so much speculation and prophecy and all of these things. And second of all, there's a timing issue in this passage that has created much ink over the years and over the centuries. Even the 1800s people were writing the very things that this passage speaks of. 
But as we come to our passage this morning, I want us to understand the necessity of watchfulness and perseverance. Because as Jesus draws all of these things to a close, he reminds us that this is really a call for us to examine ourselves and to think of what we need to do in light of these things. So we go back and some of you have been away and perhaps some of this will be a little unclear to you. But I do want to draw our attention to the fact that in this passage of Scripture, there are four things that that we need to see as we get into our passage this morning. There is the prediction that Jesus makes of the fall of Jerusalem. The disciples asking him two questions, not three questions, but two questions. When will these things be and what shall be the sign that these things are about to take place? So in light of that, Jesus speaks of the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of of Jerusalem, which came in 70 AD. That is clear from the passage. If you miss that, uh, you're going to miss a lot of things. But there's a second thing here that he deals with in verses 25 through 27, and that is the times of the Gentiles. What is the duration of that? It seems like a, a time factor there. But then there's a third thing we see in this passage, and that is the transition to the parable that we see here in the lesson of the fig tree. And then the fourth thing we see is the exhortations that Jesus gives that are related to these predictions that will come upon the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish age. But in those exhortations, we are to avoid speculative curiosity. We are to avoid those timetables and all of this discussion about three blood moons and all of the future coming All of these things of which the scriptures give no detail. But as we look at this, I want us to think of two things. And this comes from a number of of solid reform scholars. But there are two stages that take place in this prophecy. The present stage, which relates to the Jewish age. And then the coming age, which relates to the Gentile age. And so there are a number of things here in this passage. But as we come to our text this morning, I want us to see that God does not leave us in mystery. That the Lord does not leave us in a quandary about what this says. All scripture is given and is profitable for us. As our confession of faith reminds us, there is one sense of interpretation of scripture we don't see double meanings in scripture passages we don't see triple meanings we don't see hidden messages jesus was very clear to his disciples but let me say the disciples had no thought of some future age far removed from what jesus was talking about they had no clue they were like you're going to destroy this temple you're going to remove these stones i mean their their first thought is what what will happen when that takes place. And so those those Jews, particularly the disciples, were were in a quandary. They didn't understand it, what was going on. But Jesus was not purposely misleading them, as some suppose. Jesus was not trying to trick them, but Jesus tells them plain and simple, very direct, that these things shall come. 
And so what is the lesson of the fig tree that we find here in our passage of Scripture this morning? If you go back to verse 27, And when they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory, and when these things come to pass, these things of which Jesus is speaking about, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And that phrase, looking up, as we saw last week, shows a a hope. That even in the midst of all that will happen to the Jews in the city of Jerusalem, to all of the judgment that will come and the, the, um, the great tribulation that will come to them in that time, Jesus tells his disciples, he tells his people, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. And it is there that we transition into, into this passage where Jesus speaks a parable. Again, remember, it's a parable. So the parable has a a simple meaning to it. But Jesus says, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Now, in the parallel accounts, particularly in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks of the fig tree. But in Matthew's account, it's in a different order. It's a, a different arrangement. Luke and Mark are very similar in their account, but Matthew is is totally different. And the reason for that is because of the audience and the purpose for which the Spirit directed it. Things are arranged a little differently. And so here the the, um, fig tree lesson comes after Jesus speaking to the disciples about the things that would come to that generation. And so the fig tree, or he describes here all trees, all trees that bear green leaves. He says, They now shoot forth. You see them and know your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. Jesus living in that culture knew full well about trees and, and culture and all of that. And he's stating that particularly with the fig tree and all of those kinds of trees, they bear leaves they bear green leaves and in the winter those green leaves die they they're dormant but in the spring when this occasion was coming about spring passover time those leaves were coming to full bloom and jesus says you know yourselves that summer is now nigh at hand when you see those trees bringing forth their fruit. Now, as Jesus says this, he says this in light of the hope that they have in their Redeemer, the one who will come rescue them from the power of sin and death. But the fig tree is representative of the nation of Israel, particularly of the condition of Israel. When you go back to chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, and it's been a while since we've been there, but there in chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, Jesus speaks of a parable of a man who had a fig tree planted in a vineyard. 
And he came and sought the fruit, and guess what? He found no fruit. Then he said unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it to the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now where does the text in verse 10 tell us Jesus was? Teaching in the synagogues. Teaching before the Jews. Teaching before the house of Israel. Jesus speaking of the need for repentance of that generation speaks of the fact that this fig tree bore no fruit. For how long? Three years. That's significant. Any tree that doesn't bear fruit for three years, that's my philosophy, take it down. And that's exactly what the master indicated here. Bring it down because it's not bearing fruit. It's not worth anything. And so this fig tree represents the condition of Israel in that day. Israel had departed from God. Israel who was the apple of God's eye. Israel who was the promised people of God under the old covenant and administration. Israel that had been led out of the wilderness. Israel that had been led out of Egypt. They'd seen the signs and wonders of God in their midst. And they turned away from him. They became a wicked and sinful nation. And so they did not bear fruit. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that he prunes his vine that it might bring forth much fruit. And if it doesn't bring forth fruit, it's what? Taken down and cast into a fire. And so he says here that when you see this tree not producing its fruits, you see the sign and so here, as Jesus speaks of this parable, he reminds them that they would be able to recognize the sign of that coming season, that it is near. The sign of the destruction of Jerusalem and of the end of the age, the end of the world the end of the Jewish age, the end of that first age, when that came about, Jesus says you will see the signs. And when you see the signs, know that the time is near. I don't think Jesus gave them dates. In fact, we don't see the dates. You know what? We see this from after the event. Jesus was predicting this as a prophet of God before the event. That his judgment would come. And so the lesson of the fig tree is not to look at the fig tree and say, okay, the leaves are gone, it's winter. The leaves are here, it's spring or summer. But the, the lesson of the fig tree is to remember that that fig tree represents Israel. And because of their disobedience, because of their turning away from God, he would not only bring judgment upon them, but that he would send them 
into another exile. That He would send them out away from Him. And so as we see of this warning, this parable of the fig tree, we find here that this is a caution to the disciples to remember that there is coming a day when they will see the signs and know that the time is near. Here, as Jesus had spoken, as he did in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 and Mark 13, 14, and here in the verses previously, he speaks of that abomination of desolation. He speaks of that day of tribulation that would come to that age. And Luke says, when you see Jerusalem, verse 20, surrounded by the armies, you know that its desolation is near. And so the prophecy was fulfilled when the Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem in the war of 66 to 70 A.D. that led up to the destruction of the city and the temple. Then Jesus prophesies that the Jews will fall by the edge of the sword, that they will be led captive among all nations, that Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot, verse 24, by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now when you think about that phrase, the time of the Gentiles, and we saw this last week, I want, it, want us to understand perhaps what that means. The times of the Gentiles are an indefinite duration of time. Alexander McLaren, an old uh, Baptist commentator who is, who is a very solid commentator, says that the times of the Gentiles speaks of that coming age, which is an indefinite duration. And he says there's a line between what precedes and what follows. And so to speak of the nation being trodden down until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled, it's showing this is the end of this age for Israel. This is the end of the age for Israel as a nation. And yet God still brings the hope of Romans chapter 9 and 11 that he will call again unto Israel. And that he will bring out of the nation of Israel a great remnant. But until that time, he brings an end to this this era. Now that phrase, the end of the age or the end of the world, can mean a number of things. But particularly, it means the end of an age. The end of an epoch. The end of a period. And as Jesus signifies this, guess what's getting ready to happen in just a few short days? He is going to be betrayed by the hands of men. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be, he'll suffer and die. Rise again. He will fulfill the perfect sacrifice that was seen under the Old Testament. Not the the blood of bulls and goats, but the precious blood of the Lamb. Jesus fulfills all of the types. Jesus fulfills all things. And so the Gentiles will fulfill what would occur in 70 AD as that um, 
Jewish nation comes to an end, as the sacrificial system comes to an end, here we see Jesus telling his disciples to look for the signs of the end of that age. The transitions from the destruction of Jerusalem and to the end of that age was marked by cosmic disruptions of the day of the Lord. And so when you see that phrase, the day of the Lord, it can refer to judgments in the Old Testament. It can refer to specific things. But in Isaiah chapter 13, Isaiah chapter 24, Isaiah chapter 34, these passages clearly state that there will be certain signs and disruptions that will occur before the coming day of the Lord. And so this for Israel was the coming day of the Lord. This was the day of judgment. And with that day of judgment, there would be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Not physical signs like moons that are in a certain order and turn blood or some of all of this crazy speculation. But specific signs that were seen under the Old Testament. Remember, these, this is apocalyptic literature, even in the midst of a historical record or historical account. So we don't want to read into that a literal language, but Jesus is describing signs. He lived in a day when the people were looking for signs. He sent them a sign. He sent them a sign of his judgment and the, the end of that age as they know it. And so, as he tells them about this fig tree, the end of the Jewish nation, Jesus says in verse 31, So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. There Jesus tells us what we still as Westerners have difficulty understanding, that when the kingdom of God comes nigh, it doesn't mean something way off thousands and thousands of years removed from us. It speaks of God's coming kingdom at that time. Notice he says, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom, God is nigh, is at hand. Jesus elsewhere says that the kingdom of God is where? It's among you. It's within you. And then he says that perplexing question that all of you are asking to yourselves this morning. I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Now there is another time factor here. Just like the time factor in verse 24 the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. Now we have another time factor. When will this appear? Well, J.C. Ryle is very helpful, even though he is a premillennialist. J.C. Ryle is very helpful because he gives us about seven things that refer to this generation passing away. Seven different interpretations of that the expression that these things will be fulfilled. So what is the generation that shall not pass away? 
R.C. Sproul Sr. did a study on this many years ago and has written a book on this very topic. Relates the generation to something that was known and understood by the apostles and by this present generation. Now, some have taken that word generation and says, well, this refers to the, the generation when Israel will be regathered as a nation in 19-whatever. That is not what he's speaking about. That would have had no relevance to the disciples or to that particular generation. And so when Jesus says, this generation shall not pass away, he's speaking of the generation of the Jews. He's speaking of that generation that's alive. Now, obviously, some of them would live beyond 70 A.D., and even some of the disciples would live beyond that. But to speak of this generation is not something removed from the context of the passage. The generation um, is often seen as markers that show the ordered purposes of God. You see there... In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, the generation of Jesus Christ is announced. You see, this generation will not be replaced by another until all is made complete. And so this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled, all things related to what Jesus is speaking of here. And so these are difficult things for us to grasp. But I think Johann Lang, a German commentator, very good commentator, says this generation shall not pass away without the beginning of the end of the world foretold here as having come to pass in the actual destruction of Jerusalem. And so he says that this generation refers to the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end for Israel as a nation, not the beginning of the end for the world. Now sadly, Gary DeMar and other hyper-preterists, as I call them, who really have departed in many ways from the faith, have stated that everything is past, everything is fulfilled. The second coming of Christ is fulfilled in 70 AD. And as some that I have dealt with in previous congregations who will tell you that in reading R.C. Sproul, I have come to understand that even the curse was done away with in 70 AD. And I said, that is absolutely preposterous. R.C. Sproul did not believe that nonsense but to say that the curse is lifted, that Jesus came, the final end, and there's nothing more. What does that say of us? And so those are, those are the things that are they're problematic. But I like what Lang says, and I, I agree with Lang, that this generation will not pass away without the beginning of the end of the world for the Jewish age. And that is the the thing that is foretold that is coming to pass. But verse 33 is not so difficult for some because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one jot or tittle of the law shall be taken away until all is fulfilled. But verse 33 
Again, Johann Lang says, this is a figurative language of the destruction of the Jewish state. Jesus shows a destruction of an earthly economy, followed by a new age of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, there are some who will get very, and some have, I've dealt with a few, and get very indignant that I see the new heaven and the new earth as beginning with the age of the Gentiles. But Jesus uses that in, in several different ways. But here, it is figurative of the, the destruction of that Jewish state. But notice Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. This Jewish age will pass away. That economy of Israel will pass away. But my words shall not pass away. They will accomplish their purpose. And so here we, we see the end of that age for Israel. And you know, it was probably more traumatic for them to hear that than for you to hear that. Because to lose their temple, to lose their, the worship in the temple, to, to lose the sacrifices and, and all of these feast days that Jesus will fulfill in just a few days... That would be traumatic for any Jew. Well, wait a minute. When the temple is taken away, when, when all of this is done, how do we worship God? But you know what he was doing? He was getting ready to send them back into exile forever. How long until the prophecy there in, in Romans 11 is fulfilled until all of Israel shall be saved? And so the exile will come. Jesus was warning them. And so here's the lesson of the fig tree. And so, as Jesus refers to these things, there's a description of the coming judgment of Jerusalem. Jesus describes also the coming of the Son of Man. I want us to see here, because I know that there's going to be questions on this. When you go back to verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth. The distress of the nations. Sea and the waves roaring and the men, the hearts of men will fail them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I think it's clear from the text and many scholars would agree except for men like J.C. Ryle, that the signs of, the, of those things came upon the Jewish age. But upon the Gentile age, they'll see similar signs coming. There will be similar signs, but for the Gentile age, they will see the coming of the Son of Man with great power and glory. We see this imagery in the... the um, the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came in great power and glory. They would see the coming of the Lord in great power and glory on Jerusalem, but they would see the power and the glory of the Lord again at the end of that Gentile age, which is yet future. And so there's not a double fulfillment here. I, I reject that notion of a double fulfillment. What there is, and you see it more clearly in Matthew's account. He's speaking of those things, and then he's relating that to that age 
that is yet to come. And so that generation is the generation, not of Israel, future, but it's the generation of those who at that time will see the signs. And so the scriptures are fulfilled in all of their detail. But I want to move on to the warning that's issued here. There is much discussion, I'm sure, that can ensue later. But as you, we, as you see this here, we come to the warning that Jesus ushers. As these things are about to occur, Jesus says to his disciples, Take heed to yourselves. Watch yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. What in the world is surfeiting? That's not what people do in Hawaii. That's not what he's referring to here. Surfeiting is a, uh, an expression you find in, in uh, Shakespeare's sonnets. This term refers to an indulgence in things. To indulge or gratify oneself. To feed to excess to overindulge. It's used, as I said, in Shakespearean sonnets. And so Jesus says, watch yourselves when these things come. Take heed lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. Your, your hearts, not your minds, not your bodies, but your hearts be overcharged with this excess of indulgence. And so if you're following your outline there, there's two things that are a warning here. I've listed the sensuality, which comes with with that surfeiting, that overindulgence, and also with the drunkenness, that all comes under that rubric of sensuality. And then what Jesus says, the cares of this life. So as we think about that, Even in their own day, there was a warning against sensuality, against overindulging. Obviously, that can have ramifications of many things. Overindulgence in food. Overindulgence in drink. The Bible does not condemn alcoholic drink, but it does caution Christians against drunkenness. Drunkenness becomes a public disorder. It becomes a chargeable sin in the courts of the church. Now, if a man like Noah falls drunken in his home, that's something that doesn't level to the charge of scandal. But when the scriptures speak of drunkenness, it speaks of that excess. It speaks of that overindulgence in drink that brings one's mind and one's senses to to be um, not understood. And so there's this overindulgence of drunkenness and, and reveling and rivalry within life. And so Jesus issues a caution. He says, be careful that you don't allow yourselves to be indulged in these things. But there Jesus says, be careful, 
so that the day does not come upon you unawares, like a snare, like a trap. Those of you who like to trap squirrels and, and those kinds of critters, when you trap it, what's the point? You're trapping it. It doesn't know. It's taken by surprise. And in the same way, don't give yourselves to the cares of this world, to these things, so that the day of judgment comes upon you unaware. It's like a snare. Once you give yourself into that indulgence, you are caught by it. No time does not allow us to bring in the application, particularly to young people. That would be my concern today, that you not allow yourselves to be overindulged with this thing here called a phone. Not to be overindulged in the things that you send on a phone. Not to be overindulged in those things that are not proper, that becometh saints. Oh, we should caution ourselves and watch that we do not fall. Pray to sensuality, to those things that will lead us in a trap. John Trapp, no pun intended, great Puritan commentator, refers to a snare. It comes from Ecclesiastes 9.12 where the preacher says, As fishes are taken and snared, so are graceless men. Security ushers in their calamity. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. God made fair weather, he says, before Pharaoh was drowned. God made fair weather before Sodom and Gomorrah were taken by surprise. God made fair weather before Jerusalem had three years of plenty before their destruction. We have fair weather here in, 20, in 2,023 years of church history. We've had weather of plenty, but the day is coming when no man shall sleep, for all will be caught away. So the point here, particularly for our young people, don't be caught in the snares of life. Don't be caught in the snares that will draw your mind and your heart to unholy and sinless and and carnal things. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of this earth. Set your mind, as Psalm 119 says, upon the word of God. Hide it in your heart. You may not sin against God. And so there is that call to the warning. Just Matthew says, As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Men will be given to food and drink, to overindulging, up until the time of the judgment. So learn the lesson of the fig tree. Understand the importance of what Jesus is telling us And he closes out this account with this call to vigilance in verse 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always.
here again in your outline, you see that there's two things. What is your duty, soldier? You are a soldier of Christ. You are a soldier of the Lord's army. And so as a soldier, you are called to watch and to pray. Those of you who've served in the armed forces and military, you know what it is to watch. You know what it is to be on guard. Any watchman knows that they're to look for danger. And so Jesus says, watch out for danger. Watch out for those signs that will lead you astray. Be careful, soldier of Christ, to watch. But in your watching, always pray. Duty of every disciple of Christ is to watch, to be constantly on guard. Oh, friends, the one thing that we need to be on guard against every day is our own flesh. We know our hearts. We know the, the, the pride and the arrogance and all of those things that, that fill our minds and our hearts. Be on guard that those things don't lead us astray, but particularly be on guard against the one of whom the Apostle Paul says there in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. When he says this, Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance, and supplication for all the saints. You know that in that command or that duty that calls for vigilance and praying, that the Apostle Paul says, pray for yourselves and for the saints. Oh yes, pray for one another. Pray for your pastor, pray for your elders, pray for your deacons. Pray for one another that our hearts don't become puffed up with pride. Pray that we don't become arrogant. Pray that we don't show the the manner of the world toward one another. Pray that we will remain strong in the face of adversity. Jesus is telling them, knowing that these disciples, as they face the coming tribulations that will come to them, That their duty is to stand firm, to be on watch against every assault of Satan and against our own devices. And so we see here that the time is for us to act now. Watch and pray that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Friends, there is coming an end of another age. The end of that Gentile age, the age of the church, or as some say, the millennial age, when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and we stand before Him. And in that day, we will either be surprised and caught off guard, or we will ready to meet the Lord on that day. I would urge you later, and I'm not going to go into that now, I don't have the time, but look in our confession of faith in the last chapter on the, the thing that is to come. 
A confession of faith holds out no speculation. It just talks about a general coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in a day of judgment. And that is what we believe. And then the text closes with Jesus teaching in the temple. And at night, going out to pray, to rest, all the people coming to Him to hear the word of the Lord. Oh, that God would give us hearts that would come to hear His word. Oh, that God would give us hearts that would hear the teaching of the Scriptures. We would come with vigilance to heed the warning. Oh, friends, don't go away today rejecting that warning. Don't go away today rejecting that remedy to watch and to pray. But be on guard. If there's some here this morning who have not trusted in Christ for their salvation, who have not come and said, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in Thee as my Savior and my Redeemer. Today is the day that you need to call upon Him. So let us live in constant watchfulness and alertness, for we do not know when the Lord Jesus Christ will return again. We know that He will return in glory to judge the living dead and on that day indeed that will be a far more glorious day for the people who wait and hope for the coming of their redeemer let us pray lord jesus christ we do give thee thanks for all of thy mercies we thank thee particularly for reminding us of the importance of remaining vigilance vigilant and on watch and we do ask that thou wouldst bless those who have sat under the preaching of thy word today, that you would convict their hearts, that you would draw sinners to repentance, that you would bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We give thee thanks in thy glorious name. Amen.